0: Read this, I was a bit worried, and then I realized that I know Mark and Dindy very well, and Mark was doing the sermon, so we were all in safe hands. (laughs) This is from St. Paul's letter to Corinthians, first letter, chapter 14, verses 26 to 40. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should be quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, The first speaker should be quiet, for you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may learn and be encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Wives should be quiet in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as custom dictates. If they, can, if they want to learn about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a wife to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, They will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, for this service and your church here in Antalya. Bless us as we listen to Pastor Mark. That we will hear your words and wishes. Bless Mark as he delivers your message through him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: (laughs) There we go. Praise God. Thank you very much, uh, Mary, for reading this. Mary is getting ready to go back to the UK, so we had to use her reading ability one last final time here. Well, last month on Pentecost Sunday, we began our journey here in. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, looking at spiritual gifts. And Vic started us off on Pentecost. Janita has brought a message. Tim Foster, visiting from Australia, has shared with us on 13. Robin now has brought a a couple messages as well. So today I get the uh, end our study here uh, on the gifts uh, in chapter 14. So looking very much forward to it. Last week, Robin prefaced his remarks with a little bit of his own spiritual journey background that kind of alerted you where he's coming from, both denominationally and theologically, with his perspective on gifts. I'd like to do the same uh, this morning as well. Uh, Many of you already know a bit of our own spiritual journey, uh, recounted in uh, books, The Spirit Said Go, uh, Lessons and Guidance from Paul's Journeys. And in it, uh, Dindy and I share a bit of our, our spiritual journey. If you don't have a copy of the book, see me after the service, and I'd be very happy to give you a copy of this. But I grew up in a denominational church in the United States that spoke a little bit about the Holy Spirit, but certainly nothing about the gifts of the Spirit. So in my late teens, when I began to wander looking at other religious options than Christianity— This is the late 60s, early 70s, the counterculture movement, the hippies in the United States. began a journey through Eastern religions, hallucinogenic drugs, and finally a Native American religion, eating peyote uh, with the Sioux Indians in South Dakota. And in our journey through all of this, we saw a lot of spiritual power on the other side. And so as the Holy Spirit began to work on our own lives, and draw us to him, when we became believers in 1974, we said, surely God has got to have as much power as what we saw on the other side. We were invited to some meetings of a group called the Full Gospel Businessmen's Association. Some of you old-timers might remember this group. I don't even know if it exists anymore. It does, praise God. And so we began to attend meetings and began to hear teaching about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And Dindi and I really embraced that because we really felt that we needed that, particularly in the context where we were living uh, with a lot of uh, occult and uh, Native American religion and things like that, in order to really spiritually survive. And so over four decades now, this has really been the reality that we've walked in with the Holy Spirit, and much of our understanding about the Holy Spirit and the gifts are found in these chapters here in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Now, today we're looking at a text that's a bit challenging because it has some very uh, interpretative problems, as Mary alluded to in her reading, and we're going to try and make sense of this in the context of all of Paul's teaching. He begins here in verse 26 by describing what a typical meeting of the Corinthian believers should be like. He says, "When you gather, like we're doing here this morning, each of you should contribute or have a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation." Now, in the Greek text, the verb is repeated before each one of these, really emphasizing the individual the, the individual participation. Within the meeting, each one has a hymn, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, or has an interpretation. And in these verses, he affirms what he's already discussed back in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10. And there he says, because all believers have received the Holy Spirit, everyone has the possibility to manifest or to evidence the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Why? Well, Robin gave us the answer last night as he quoted Peter's message in Acts chapter 2. And Peter's in turn, quoting Joel in his prophecy. And what was that? When the Holy Spirit is poured out, everyone, young and old, male and female, slave and free, all can prophesy. So with the coming of the Holy Spirit there, On the day of Pentecost, a whole new era in the history of God's people and his covenant broke forth on the earth. Now, in the first part of the message, I just want to bring forth a little bit of summary related to some of what we've heard. Some of you have been gone, have missed some of the teaching. I'll bring a little bit of my own perspective. Hopefully it agrees with uh, Robin and Vic and others here. But I see in chapter 12 an important distinction in the two lists that Paul gives us there. Because in verse 29, Paul lifts eight ministry giftings in the church that overlap. Yet these are distinct from the spiritual gifts. He asks in verses 29 and 30, Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? do all interpret? And the expected answer here is, no, of course not, because only certain individuals have received these ministry gifts, while everyone can manifest the spiritual gifts. However, neither spiritual gifts or ministry gifts are static, that is, they're fixed. God can use any believer with the Holy Spirit to manifest any of these at any given time. So as we look at Paul's ministry in his letters and the book of Acts, we see him at one point being called a prophet, another a teacher, another an apostle. He's an evangelist as he goes into all the churches and he's a pastor as well. He's manifesting all five ministry gifts depending on the circumstances and depending on the situation. Now, speaking personally, my usual ministry gifting, as most of you know, is teaching. But about a year ago, the congregation, this congregation, asked me to serve as its interim pastor. And I found it humorous at times when people have commented, boy, I didn't know Mark had any pastoral giftings. (laughs) Well, why? Because that's not usually the area that I'm ministering in at least in the natural, okay, in the terms of my natural ministry giftings. So what you see up here is mostly Holy Spirit, <laughs> who's been equipping me for this season to serve you all as your interim pastor. <laughs> Thank the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Now, another example. So when we look at the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians five twenty two and 23, We don't consider that someone has the fruit of love. Joy, you have the fruit of love. Dini, you've got the fruit of joy. Someone else, Andre, has the fruit of peace. No. The Holy Spirit's got the whole package, right? And so, again, depending on the occasion, the Holy Spirit is working in us to bring forth these fruit in order to manifest his love and compassion through the fruit. And so... When we think of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, let's think the same way. If we're willing, the Holy Spirit can manifest any of the nine gifts through us as he sees fit for the moment. Similarly, your giftings may not be to pray for healing or miracles for somebody. But if you got a desperately sick person in front of you, and they say, please pray for us, what are you going to say? Well, that's not my gift. Okay. <laughs> person's desperate. They need someone to pray. It's not your gift anyway, is it? It's the Holy Spirit who's working through you. You lay hands on the sick and believe and trust that God is going to work through you. And often the development of spiritual gifts is best done within a more intimate context, such as a small group. Well, Presently, we have few small groups at St. Paul Union Church. That's a desire that you as a congregation have expressed. And as we move into our next season, that will be something the pastoral team will certainly be looking to do. But what do we have? Well, Vic and Dyer leading us on these Tuesday evening prayer and praise uh, uh, times. What a great opportunity if you're interested in developing spiritual gifts. Come, come, show up and say, thick and die. They're veterans in this. They can help guide and, and, and coach you as you're moving into this realm of spiritual gifts. Practice gifts in these type of contexts. Now, whether you realize it or not, many of these gifts are already being manifested regularly in our services here. Robin gave an example last week of when he's preaching, words of wisdom, knowledge come through him that are not on his notes here, but the Holy Spirit has prompted him to speak something forward. This has happened to me, many of you who have spoken. The same thing has happened as you get a nudge from the Holy Spirit that this needs to be said. Now, just because we don't hear somebody standing up saying, thus says the Lord, you know, that's kind of the the background we think is what a spiritual gift has to manifest itself is. But let's put up spiritual antenna, okay? Let's start beginning aware of how the Holy Spirit is working in our midst. And if we develop these antenna, we suddenly begin to see the Holy Spirit working in various ways in our service. This comes through testimonies of answered prayer. And that's why it's good to hear that you as the saints periodically, if you've got an answered prayer, let us know, stand up and share that because the Holy Spirit is using these testimonies to bless others. Those of you who come forward in the prayer teams, many of you can give testimonies about as you begin to pray. The Holy Spirit has dropped the word of knowledge. I remember one time I was praying up here for someone. Suddenly, just as I began to pray, a a picture of a piece of metal that was twisted came into my mind. And so I began to pray that whatever was twisted in this situation would just become normal. And the person afterwards said, wow, that was just exactly, you know, what, what was needed here in this situation. So, in the prayer teams that are going forward, God is using them to pray through the Spirit for people and their needs here. Words of wisdom, as I mentioned, in coming through sermons. And I remember several months ago in our midst, we had two mature believers: one who had lived in Antalya for many years, who has now left; another who lives out of town, who we asked to bring a word of greeting. I don't know if you were here on that Sunday, and one was in the back, another brother was up here. And as they began to speak, I just had a sense the Holy Spirit was prophesying through them. I just got a a chill down on my spine. I looked at Dini, I said, the Holy Spirit just speaking through these guys in a powerful way to our congregation. I'm not even sure if they were aware of that. But suddenly the Holy Spirit was just moving through them in a wonderful way. Now, perhaps some of you have been skeptical skeptical about using the gifts because you personally are not given to emotion or drama. But remember, gifts do not have to be sensational or dramatic for the Spirit to be manifesting Himself through you. As Robin mentioned last week, we don't go into some kind of ecstatic dither when the Holy Spirit stirs us, okay? Paul says we can pray. We're in control. We pray. We give thanks. We sing with the Spirit, but we also sing, pray, and and give thanks with our minds as well. We're in control to be able to express either through the Spirit and our minds. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14.32, the spirits of the prophets in our text today, they're subject or in control of the prophets who are in the congregation. So we as believers are called to be in control of our spirits, but not to quench the spirit. That Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, control but not quench. So in the rest of today's message, we're going to see Paul instructing the Corinthians on three matters related to public meetings, tongues, prophecies, and questions. Now, did you notice when Mary was reading our text this morning that each instruction repeated a command to be silent? So this is a very important observation, especially when we get to the third one. Each instruction has a command about being quiet or being silent. So let's begin by looking at tongues in verses 27. Verse 27. Now, Paul first gives specific instructions on the public manifestation of tongues. And he says that when the group gathers, and the Corinthians were big on speaking in tongues, he says, but only two or three of them, you should give an utterance in tongues in each meeting, but these must be interpreted. So Paul basically equates a message in tongues with interpretation with prophecy, okay? And he says, if there's nobody in the congregation that you know has the gift of interpretation, then it's your responsibility to be silent. Just pray to yourself, pray to God, but be silent. Because if a message in tongues goes forward without interpretation, this is out of order. So, this whole discussion here about what is fitting and proper, Paul wants the congregations to follow a pattern of order here. I've been in a number of churches through the years where someone will speak out in a message in tongues, and the leadership on the platform goes on without an interpretation, which was totally against what Paul is talking about here the responsibility of people in leadership to basically say we've got to wait if this message has come publicly we've got to pray for an interpretation no matter how long it takes because we can't move on from here so if and when that ever happens here we will that will be our pattern okay the second thing paul talks about is prophecy in verses 29 through 31 and again, the pattern in the congregational meetings is that two or three should speak during uh, a meeting. And he further instructs them if a prophet who's sitting down receives a fresh revelation. Notice that he uses the word revelation as equivalent to prophecy here. He says the one who's speaking basically you know, is, should sit down and the other person should Proceed and give the prophecy at that time. So the first speaker is to be silent or quiet. Our second command of Paul here about silence as they go forward. So notice that all prophetic speech, and I include tongues and interpretation with this, must be judged. But one of the questions in this passage, who's the one to do the judging? Is it simply the other prophets who are there, or is the entire congregation to be involved in that judging? Now, my view is since every person has the possibility to prophesy, that it's the entire congregation then that's going to be involved, uh, and, and as judges uh, are discerning that this is the, the Lord speaking through the prophecy. Now, how is this judging to take place in the congregation? Well, one of the other gifts that the Lord gives is called discerning of spirits. So is the speaker uttering just some well-intentioned words whose source is their own human spirit? So that's what has to be judged. In our home church uh, many years ago when you're we there, maybe you've been in churches like this, there's always a brother or sister who feels like this is their gift or, or whatever to come forward. So we would be going along and suddenly say, well, it's about time for Brother Fred to come up and do his thing, you know. And so sure enough, about that time, they'd come up and he'd come up and he said, "Uh, the Lord's given me a scripture, okay? So they'd give him the microphone and he'd read a scripture, set the microphone down, go sit down. It's like, everybody's, okay, that's a good scripture, it's in the Bible, but what's the meaning? How are we supposed to take this scripture and apply it? And I always got frustrated with our leadership. Okay, somebody's got to talk to our brother here, you know, and it's it's like teach him how, how to make this more edifying for building up the congregation uh, here in the, in the service, okay? Uh, and so... Okay, uh, unfortunately that didn't seem to be happening, but uh, anyway, it, it just was not working. At, at, and as well-meaning and intentional in the congregation, it, it just was not working as um, from a false spirit, though this is rarely going to happen in a Christian meeting. Remember at the beginning of 1 Corinthians twelve three it says, No one can, speaking by the Spirit, says Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So any message, Jesus was not born of a virgin, or that he's not the Son of God, right away we know that this is not the Spirit of God that's speaking. Now finally, of course, it can be a genuine message of the Holy Spirit. Remember the occasion when Paul arrives and sees a prophet comes down from Jerusalem, and he takes Paul's belt, and he binds his own hands and said, this is what's going to happen to Paul when he goes up to Jerusalem. The Jews are going to bind him and put him in prison. Of course, this is what happened. But remember what happened a few days before as Paul was traveling down through the city of Tyre and he visited the believers there. They began to prophesy, Paul, you're not supposed to go to Jerusalem. You need to stay away for comfort and safety. But again, these are well-intentioned people concerned about Paul, whom they loved loved very greatly. But again, their motivation was not according to God's will because Paul already had the word of the Lord. He was to complete the journey to Jerusalem there. And so Paul could turn to them and said, thanks, but no thanks. I'm continuing my journey to Jerusalem. Our final section, of course, is the most controversial, the questions in verses 34 through 36. For a third time now, Paul commands silence, this time for certain wives who are disrupting the public meetings. Now, although the command seems general and all-encompassing and so interpreted by some, including some denominations, we need to look at the context of this instruction very specifically. Paul is resuming a discussion that began in chapter 11, which he addressed, where he addressed the issue of head cover. Uh, I'm going to pick it up briefly here. But it's Gune and aner for man and woman can only important for the translation we used. I translated diff have also in chapter 11 of covering their heads when praying, prophes rituals in the ancient world. And men, before they sacrificed, would put in order to pray. Paul says, no, are prophesying in the church. Dindy talked a lot about this issue of freedom and the abuse among the Corinthians, where women wore a head covering. So and outside the churches. So Paul's instructions in 1 Corinthians 11 were that married women should pray or prophesy with their heads uncovered. All married women should have their heads covered when exercising spiritual gifts. If the, the wives don't wear a head covering, their behavior is shameful. This is the same word he uses in 1435. So again, we're in an honor-shame culture, okay? It's a disgrace. It's a shame for them to be doing this. But note that meetings by praying in chapter 11, that the wives would be, we said, in the meetings by praying and prophesying. In chapter 12, we said every woman had been given spiritual gifts to use publicly. So it would be a contradiction to interpret Paul here as saying that women shouldn't speak in the church. It it makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, it's it's Pauline double talk. So he's already established that women are going to be doing this. So what are these wives to be silent about? So what's happening here? So he says that prophecy should function so that everyone may learn and be encouraged. Well, apparently we've got some wives in the Corinthian congregation that did not understand the content of some prophecies or interpretations. So they're now disrupting the services by asking their husbands about the meaning of what's going on whispering, maybe talking more loudly or whatever, and so the meeting is being disrupted. So Paul's solution to this disruption is that the wives, these wives who are disrupting, should be quiet in the churches. They must not speak but control their speech as custom dictates. Now, some translations say he is, by uh, interpreting Uh, that they're to be in submission to their husbands. This is not really what's being stated here. It's the same word that the spirits of the prophets are to be in submission or controlled by the prophets. He's saying you wives, you need to control your own speech, your own talking. This is what's to be submitted. Their speech in the congregation to themselves. Those, are prophesying, as I said, should control their own speaking. Those wives who are disrupting by speaking in the congregation for the purposes of learning should stop. And Paul concludes here by instructing the Corinthians, if the wives want to learn about something that is about what's happening in the meetings that they don't understand, they should ask their own husbands at home later. So this is Paul's solution. We're not talking about a general ban of women speaking in the church. Is he talking about a specific situation in the Corinthian church where some wives are disrupting the meetings by speaking out of order? Okay? <laughs> so this is why in St. Paul Union Church we allow wives, or wives women to speak, to teach, and to preach on occasion as well, because our understanding of this text is not a ban on women speaking in the church. So what's our conclusion here? Paul's purpose at the end of chapter 14 is to give practical advice on how to use spiritual gifts in the assembly. And his guidelines given here provide us help as well as we seek to use spiritual gifts at St. Paul Union Church. Number one, he says, the church must be built up. That is strengthened or edified by the gifts. If this isn't happening, their use must be curtailed. So when you come, bring a gift to the church, make sure it's for the building up of your brothers and sisters here as we gather together. Secondly, he says, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. So gifts must be used in a controlled way in public meetings so as not to appear shameful to inquirers and unbelievers. We have visitors regularly in our congregation who have come to see, as we've heard today, what a Christian service is like. So the order that we demonstrate here by Allowing the Holy Spirit to move in an orderly way shows our visitors then respect and order for God's people and his plan. Number three, the custom of using spiritual gifts spelled out in these chapters was practiced in all the Pauline churches. Remember, Paul says, this is our custom, this is our practice in all the churches, Hence, it's appropriate, I think, to follow Paul's instructions for us today. We are St. Paul Union Church, of course, so we, we need to be, you know, especially conforming to Paul's teaching in these matters, okay? And always there's a tension that we have between controlling and quenching, okay? So we don't want to be on either end of this spectrum. We want to be facilitating, helping this. And so the exercise of gifts in the church in St. Paul's Union Church should occur in a proper and orderly manner. And so I just say to you, if you feel the Spirit is stirring you, maybe he's spoken to you during the week to give you a scripture and encouragement through that for the congregation, or it happens more spontaneously in the service. And you say, you know, I think the Holy Spirit wants me to share a testimony or something here. Just talk to us in spiritual leadership. Sneak up during the worship time or talk to us beforehand and say, you know, I think the Holy Spirit wants to use me to encourage and build up our congregation. And we as a leadership team want to be here to facilitate that because we believe the Holy Spirit is here anew and afresh each Sunday to speak into our lives, to our situation, and to send us forth then, strengthened to meet the challenges of the week ahead. Paul closes with the exhortation, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Now, unfortunately, in the modern church, the exact opposite practice is prevalent. Uh, Robin was talking about that last week. There is apathy about prophecy and speaking in tongues is forbidden. So it's no wonder that the Spirit's power is lacking in many believers and in many churches today. Lastly, when Paul repeats something, you know it's pretty important. When he repeats it three times, you know it's really important. And in 1 Corinthians, he repeats three times, eagerly, that is, zealously, desire the spiritual gifts, 1231, 141, 1439, three times he's encouraging us to do that. When Tim was preaching on 1 Corinthians 13, we were challenged to desire the kind of love that Paul speaks about in this chapter. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is the love that's going to endure forever. Let's also eagerly desire the spiritual gifts with which he frames this teaching about love in chapters 12 and 14. For these things, gifts that God gives helps us to understand the deep things of God, and we all certainly need to know God a whole lot better. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for using Paul here to speak to the Corinthians and us about the use of spiritual gifts in the churches then and today, Lord. We thank you for the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit manifested in each one of our lives, Lord, so that we can show forth your love and power to a lost and needy world. In Jesus' name, amen.